Morning everyone, it is Wednesday the 1st of June. Morning Marcus, what have you got from overnight for us? Good morning, Benjamin. Well, we're the end of the month, aren't we? And how did our market go? ASX 200 down 3.01%, and that is now, for 2022 so far, down 3.14%, so a bit of a nothing year so far. Wall Street outperformed but didn't go anywhere. Can you believe that over the month? We've been talking about a big correction, and the Dow Jones was actually up a touch, so was the S&P 500, although the NASDAQ was down a couple of percent. I looked up this morning, a week ago, the NASDAQ was down 10% for the month. Oh, there you go, and it bounced 9%. 0.93% in four days or something. Yep. And what else? Other features. France down 8.73%. Hate to see the French losing money. And sector-wise, we have seen banks down 2.4% in the month. Energy sector down 0.7. Property down 8.7. Resources holding up plus 0.6%. And the all-tech sector down 8.9%. And if we were to analyse this recent correction in our market, it really hasn't been material, quite honestly. We've gone from top to bottom of the range and bounced again and we're only a few percent off the top but in the tech sector it dropped 40 percent and hasn't really bounced that much at this point the US the Nasdaq has seen a much bigger bounce of course that's because our tech sector is dominated by Afterpay or Block or SQ2 anyway Aussie dollar has been going up recently as well this month up 1.5 percent it's a barometer of global economic growth I'll get to that in strategy otherwise the notable thing was oil price up nine percent on the month coal price up 15% on the month. Right, sorry, back to what was happening this morning. Dow was down 223, our futures were down 26. And we opened this morning up 27, we're only up seven at the moment. Lithium stocks taking a pounding. There is a piece of Goldman Sachs research which says they expect to see a sharp correction in the lithium price over the next two years and the bull market in battery metals is over for now on the back of an outsized supply response well ahead of the demand trend. That's for the next two years. More optimistically, they say, after 2024, prices for battery materials may still soar again. May, may. I write... Notice the use of the word may, other words that work in research that absolve analysts from all responsibility whilst retaining the right to say I told you so include may, perhaps, maybe, could, should, expect, possibly, probably, conceivably, feasibly, might, and likely. And Marcus, I think you've taught all of us to never use those words when we're writing for Marcus today. I did a sales course at UBS, Confidence Sells. So if you were to say, I think you should buy this managed fund, and they were to say, because the average return on the stock market is 9% per annum. And the client said, well, yeah, but what about next year? Is it is it going to go up 9% per annum? Is that what you're telling me? And if you say, well, tell you the truth, we don't know, they won't buy it. But if you say confidently, yeah, absolutely, it'll go up 9%, they'll buy it. So confidence sells. So never use those words, guys, because nobody will believe you. Not that what you're writing is any more believable because you don't use them. But sorry. Anyway, I ramble today. Otherwise, we'll do a bit of strategy today about the China trade trade and the GDP numbers at 11.30 today. Forecast consensus is around 3.0%. Shane Oliver's at 2.8%. There were some numbers yesterday which suggest the number has risk to the upside, not the downside. Otherwise, not too much to go on overnight. European inflation number at a record high, but after the UK inflation number recently, not surprising. And Powell and Biden met last night. I thought that Biden might just get behind the get on top of inflation bandwagon because his 
approval ratings at the lowest ever, and apparently inflation is the biggest issue. But he said we will endeavour not to influence the Fed. So Biden staying in the background, and that's about it. Very good, thank you, Marcus. No Tom today, so I'll step into his shoes. As you said, Marcus, we did open a little bit higher. Financials, industrials, and real estate are leading the way with gains of around a percent each. Utilities are the big laggard, down four and a half percent thanks to a twelve percent fall in Origin Energy on the back of a disappointing update on operating conditions and a withdrawal of their guidance, declaring that they have a high degree of uncertainty around the range of earnings. As you mentioned as well, Marcus, lithium stocks are in the barrel today. Alchem, which is AKE, and Liontown Resources, LTR, are both down around 7%. It is that research from Goldman Sachs you mentioned with the words sharp correction and over for now, seemingly the focus for investors. On the stock front, National Australia Bank, NAB, have completed its acquisition of Citigroup's Australian consumer business. They're up 1% on the back of that. Helix Pharmaceuticals, TLX, have had their CFO and COO step down, effective at the end of July, down 3% on the back of that. Mesoblast, MSB, have reported their third quarter earnings per share number of $0.03, which was in line of expectations. Revenue of $2 million was a bit short of the 3.6 expected, but they are up 1% on the back of that. Warleys have given a trading update, announcing they expect improved revenue and earnings during the second half, and are up 2% there, and just one ex-dividend today in United Malt Group with the ticker UMG, though it is a 0.4% yield on the dividend. So it's not one that I think the income investors would be getting out of bed for. On the economic front, as Marcus mentioned, the GDP number at 1130 is the big one today with expectations for a 3% annualized number, as you said. And the AI Group Australian Performance of Manufacturing Index PMI number fell to 52.4% in May from 58.5% in the previous month. And that reading indicates the slowest growth in factory activity since a contraction in January. So Plenty on today. Leighton, anything coming out of the break? Thank you, Ben. Having a look at some Macquarie research this morning, there's some downgrades and upgrades out for some of our bigger growth stocks. And it's based on their strategy team now forecasting a 60% probability of a mild recession. The broker notes that media multiples are the canary in the earnings coal mine. They're currently pointing to 20% reductions in sector earnings. And Macquarie has upgraded car sales to outperform, but lowered the target price to $20, down from $23 which is slightly below the current share price. They've stated that car sales is generally more resilient, gaining higher listings with reduced demand and therefore remains the preferred sector pick. But perhaps that one's just the best of a bad bunch because we've got REA Group, that's REA is the ticker code, and SEEK, which is S-E-K. They've both been downgraded to underperform. So Macquarie says, apart from monetary tightening, REA Group faces real estate specific headwinds. The target price drops 31% to 9 which implies a 20% downside and SEEK is the most cyclically exposed with EPS forecast to fall in the coming years. Target price drops 41% to $19 which implies a 22% downside. Thank you Ben. Nice work. Thank you, Leighton. Chris, what have you got in trading today? Thanks, Ben. Just leveraging that news item about Wally and the improved expectations of improved revenue. We hold it as a trade in the trading ideas section. So nice to be gaining the benefit of that upside today. The chart of the day is Qantas. Just interestingly, two travel-related stocks, Qantas and Webjet, stock code QAN for Qantas, popped up on my uh, momentum scans this morning. I think that's telling us something. People are obviously moving back into travel names and they're starting to gather some 
some momentum. Qantas has been in the news lately trying to acquire fly-in, fly-out specialist Alliance Aviation Services. It would give them some synergies and exposure to the resources sector, but there is some speculation that the deal won't go ahead, particularly given the ACCC's previous objections. All of that aside, whether or not that deal happens, the post-pandemic pickup in flight bookings and willingness to travel are the sentiment tailwinds that are lifting the flying kangaroo. Chart looks pretty good, obviously. That's why it's chart of the day. It's currently trading around 550 and there's a natural upside target towards $6. So for anyone taking the trade or the opportunity there, that's what I'd be aiming for. Just interestingly, there's a host of brokers out there that like it. UBS being quite bullish with a target up towards 665. Morgan Stanley, the most bullish with a target towards $7.10, implying about a 30% upside. So there's my chart of the day. Nice work. Thank you, Chris. Henry is busy getting himself into the Osbis studio as we speak. So he's not with us this morning, but he has got a big edition of Henry's take. He's added a few ETFs yesterday and Tolga, which is TLG, into his small cap portfolio. Make sure you check it out to see what those ETFs are. He also has a look at the banks with a bit of air coming out of the sector yesterday. Plus, he has some thoughts on oil and inflation with a nasty hurricane season in the US, potentially spelling even higher oil prices. And he responds to a member question on whether the market is rigged for instos over retail. Have a look at that. And we're also going to come back to that a little bit later. But before we do that, Marcus, what have you got in strategy today? Also, I'd just make the point in the media, I was on the business last night and we haven't found the video yet, have we? Got rather good at protecting their videos, ABC, <laughs> annoyingly. And we also have Henry on the Equity Mates podcast on Instagram. They're quite good with their social media. Anyway, there's a, if you want to see Henry talking on a podcast, images on a podcast, don't get it, but there you go. Isn't uh, that video? Go to, that is full video. Uh, go to Instagram and we'll try and post a link. Right, a few strategy things today. The first one is a bit of a disappointment, obviously, that there wasn't a follow through on the bounce yesterday, but after 9.9% in four days, I suppose the NASDAQ was always going to have a bit of a pause. Um, I'm holding on in hope others might not. Uh, the best loss, of course, is a small profit if you've already got one. Otherwise, a few issues today. Uh, was that top for banks is my clickbait headline in the strategy piece today. The AFR Summit had a Deloitte partner saying the interest rates going to 3%. The property market rally was over. A 15 to 20% corrections on the way in life as we know it was going to hell and the banks fell over yesterday. I think it's a bit unnecessary to, to call the top on the banks but you can see that maybe we're moving themes from higher interest rates are good for banks to watch out for the property market and that. And you've also got all the major banks except the CBA having just gone ex-dividend. You don't need to hold them for income for the next five months so maybe some people just back away. CBA has a dividend coming up in August. I don't think it's necessarily the top for banks, but it's hard to see them going anywhere with the property market weakness in the background. Otherwise, I've got a chart of the market PEs, and there is this rule of 20 Henry wrote about the other day that the markets are fairly valued when the sum of the PE ratio and the inflation rate equals 20. So the PE of the Australian market, according to Datastream, at the moment on this chart is 15.14 times inflation is 5.1 times. In other words, we're back to fairly valued instead of overvalued. And the trimmed mean, which is the inflation number used by the RBA and Treasury to fudge the real inflation number is 3.7%. Add that to 15%, 15 times. And you can see on the rule of 20, we might be even a little bit undervalued. Whereas the US is on a PE of 21.28. Inflation's 8.3. So they're only about 50% overvalued still. 
But if you look at the chart, you'll see the PEs come back to a more normal level, but still elevated in the US. Ours, if anything, is possibly a little bottom of the trading range. Otherwise, the China reopening trade I've written about today, Shanghai coming out of lockdowns today, manufacturers getting going again, a 50-point plan from the Chinese government to stimulate the economy, which includes subsidizing electric vehicles. And I've got a chart of one of their lithium stocks, which is up 68% from the bottom a couple of months ago and not helping obviously our lithium stocks today which are struggling with the Goldman Sachs research. But some Chinese PMI numbers, yes they were better than expected. You've got the Aussie dollar going up again which suggests growth concerns are diminishing. You've got the Chinese trying to stimulate their economy which is good for commodities. All in all it's good for the resources sector which outperformed in a falling market yesterday and I've got a chart of the resources sector. It is generally in uptrend, middle of the range, nothing to worry about at the moment and Macquarie has a bit of research out today saying high dividend yields should support resources as we approach reporting season in August. So worrying about the banks and happy with resources was the strategy message today. Otherwise, a few interesting charts in the strategy bit. Bitcoin seems to be stabilizing the barometer of irrational exuberance. And I've got a bit on the lithium stocks, some lithium charts. And I read yesterday the most shorted stocks, which we do every Wednesday. Yep. That's today. Yep. So we've got a a list of the most shortest stocks, very good. But Flight Center, Apple, Nanasonics and Kogan on the list as the most shorted stocks. And I've got charts of them. Apart from Flight Center, Apple, Nanasonics and Kogan have been disastrous investments for the last over a year, 18 months or so. And although stocks on the shorting list tend to be good trading stocks or a focus for traders because the short positions make them much more volatile on the upside, what investors should do, which is to say long-term quality, the Warren Buffett way readers amongst you should take the most shorted list and just not hold any stock on it because these charts are terrible and trying to time the bottom is just folly. So there you go. Have a look at those charts in the strategy piece today. And that's that from me. Very nice. Thank you, Marcus. And our question of the day today, following on from Henry's look into institutions, is do institutions have an unfair advantage over retail? Leighton. Yes, I think they do. And I feel like Tom will be spewing that he's not here for this because I think he's quite passionate passionate about this. He always discusses it with me. Seems like they just get free money sometimes with capital raises. They get discounted shares and then goes on the market and they've just made money. So, yeah. All right. Chris? Oh, yeah. Slightly different take. I tend to agree with Leighton, but the access. I think there was someone in the Facebook group the other day talking about a mining stock that had done a capital raising and it all went to the instos and didn't give the retail investors any opportunity to participate. So, from the perspective of an investor, yeah, that would be particularly frustrating, I would have thought. Marcus? Do you really want to go here? (laughs) (laughs) I could be an hour about this. I wrote an article a while ago. I'll republish it. I wrote an article about why it is better or smart money versus small money. I don't think you call it dumb money. I hate the word smart money. But institutions are supposed to have smart money, which is they can do things inaccessible to mortal investors like accessing IPOs, accelerated issues, placements. There is a saying amongst fund managers, if you're not on the inside, you're on the outside. There is no doubt they have a bit of an information advantage over us because they talk to the brokers who are telling them what's happening. I would just say before brokers release research, they now know the moment they release research, it goes to everybody. So what they do if they've got half a brain is not release their research. They market their research to their best clients first. And then these days when they release it to the market, publish it in their morning notes, right, we've got all our value out of it. Let's let the rest of the world follow what our clients have already done. Shoot me for 
telling the truth, but that is what happens. So yes, there is a bit of an information advantage. And the other thing which some big investors can do is write options where they, they're adding one, two percent to their overall market yield, which makes a difference if you're a fund manager, which small investors can't do. But there are a million advantages to being a small investor. I will list them in the newsletter tomorrow rather than running through them all now. But there are some of the obvious ones that you don't have liquidity issues. You don't have a mandate controlling what you do. You don't lose investors when you're underperform. You can take a day off, a month off, a year off. You don't have to invest at all. And you don't have to answer emails from people saying, what on earth are you doing? Because you are basically a private investor. So lots of advantages of being a small investor over being an institutional investor, I can tell you. Very nice. Plenty of good stuff there. And I'll pretty much agree with everyone. I think there's some easy money advantages in IPOs and cap raises, but there's plenty of good to being a retail investor and having the freedom to do whatever you want. Well, I can tell you there was an announcement about performance from one fund manager a few years ago, which they regret in hindsight putting out, but they were talking about how fabulously they formed and why they performed. And it was all things a private investor couldn't do, which was access to IPOs mostly. And it had significantly, especially in times like the tech boom, significantly enhanced performance of a fund manager relative to an individual investor. And these accelerated rights issues are an absolute rort. I won't go into that, but there are definitely some advantages for institutions. Very good. Look forward to reading more on that tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you back here, same time, same place. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. you.